0: State.com.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number one, uh, 208. Goodness, we we're there already. Uh, we have, we're broadcasting live at SonicState.com forward slash live. That's 4pm UK time. Obviously, you know that if you're here. We've got a chat room. Lots of people in the chat room with us as well. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this podcast is also going to be recorded and will be out tomorrow on wednesday the 20th thursday the 23rd of february uh via itunes and all good mp3 outlets uh, first of all i want to introduce um our guests we've got a very special guest here uh this week um not that all our guests aren't always special but uh, in the form of neil arthur from Blamange. uh neil is joining us um i'm guessing this is part of your kind of do we count as promotion for your new album
2: why not Okay. I think so, yeah.
1: The new album, of course, uh, is called Blankburn. How would you pronounce it? Blankburn or Blankburn?
2: It's uh, the latter. Blankburn. Blank Blankburn. And uh, it's play on uh, the town from uh, very near to where I was uh, brought up.
1: Uh, I believe it's out on, let me see, when is it? Um, March the 7th. So pretty imminent. That's right. Excellent. How's that been? Because, I mean, I guess we should, uh, well, I'll I'll introduce everybody else while I'll come back. I guess that's a tease, isn't it? So let me just introduce the rest of the crew, and then we'll come back and talk to you a little bit about that, hopefully. (laughs) Um, So uh, we'll also say hello to Gaz Williams uh, in Bristol, our resident Welsh producer. How are you, Gaz? Yeah, great. Thank you very much. Songsurgeon.co.uk is where you can find him. That's right. And uh, we've also got uh, Dave Spears from G4software.com, as ever. How are you, Dave? I'm all right, thanks. Makers of fine software instruments and uh, many other things.
3: Yeah, synth trumps.
1: Synth trump, <laughs> Top trumps synths, <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Let's not forget that. And also, we'll uh, nip across the pond to our US uh, panellists. Uh, we'll start with PJ Tracy in Minneapolis. How are you doing? Emmy-winning PJ Tracy. PJTracyMusic.com. How are you, PJ?
4: Good morning, Nick. I'm fantastic. Good. Good thanks to have for, you again. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. It's good to be here.
1: And also we have Rich Hilton uh, in Connecticut, who is uh, the main man at Nile Rogers' uh, personal studio, as well as being a live performer and producer and player of some note. How are you, Rich?
5: Very well, thank you. Very well.
1: Good. And we may have Mark Tinley there. I'm going to wait for him to, uh, to, to, to get in touch uh, about that. But anyway, um, so welcome, everybody. And uh, Once again, we'll come back to Neil. So, Neil, I was trying to work out, 26 years, right, between albums? Is that about right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's about that, 25, 26. We don't rush things.
1: No, exactly. (laughs) Has it been sort of percolating the whole time, or has it just been kind of coming to focus recently?
2: Um, It's come into focus recently. We never really um, thought of doing an album together, say, 10 years ago. And uh, maybe 20 years ago, we kind of, Talked about it and uh, decided, no, we won't do any more. We'll go do our, um, we both do film and TV music, things like that. And uh, a few years ago, Stephen and I were in the same room and uh, I asked Stephen a question. I said, do you fancy writing, uh, you know, getting together and uh, I've got a few ideas. Do you fancy putting some songs together? And he said, yes. And it was, uh, oh, let's have a go at it. Um, I hadn't really thought it was 25 years because we'd been doing other things. But yeah, of uh, yeah, it is quite a gap between third and fourth albums.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I, I mean, uh, you were kind of considered, would it be fair to say you were considered to be an electronic, electronic pop music act? Or would that be a fair, a fair way yeah. of putting it? Cynthia pop duo. Cynthia pop duo in the, in the true <laughs> sense of the word. So
2: I don't know. Yes, a very uh, electronic with a, a, an Indian flavour at times, wasn't there? So yeah, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so in terms of music, how did you did you have a kind of philosophical approach to this new album, or did you just kind of sort of just spurt out stuff and see where it took you, or did you did you want to work to a specific way methodology?
2: Um, we did initially. We started putting ideas down in between doing uh, music for. You know, documentaries or titles and things like that. And um, there, was n- there was never really a-, a rush. And then last year, it started gathering a bit of pace. And um, the difference between the recordings we've done here and what we've done with um, what we did 20 years ago uh, was that we presented the record company with a finished album as opposed to taking demos in and then going into a studio and recording it. So obviously technology has uh, changed uh-huh. enough to allow us... Uh, the uh, possibility of that being realised and taking that into a record company and they said, oh, thank you very much. Has that, um, <laughs>
1: has that sort of liberated you or do you kind of miss the, uh, the filtering of uh, A&R people or can you do, live without them in your life?
2: Well, if I, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Um, I, um, we used to have an A&R fader. On ah, our yes. Desk those, so, I've know, still got no, one of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been a, a lot uh, it, how do you say it? There was, it was it was good fun doing it back then but I wouldn't have wanted to go back and repeat that at all right i'd quite happy to uh, you know work with my little laptop and uh, plug a few old things into it and um, then take it to a, we took it to friend's studios to mix it but essentially the album was put together on using logic uh-huh. um, in on a laptop with lots of bits and pieces added, but uh, it was essentially that.
1: Did you, uh, have, have you got much of kind of the old, the old guard in terms of equipment or are you pretty much in the box?
2: Um, got, uh, things like the Super Jupiter and, um, 8 p they've come out. There's also a kazoo on it, believe it or not, but, <laughs> uh, you know, um, anything, <laughs> anything, anything, that, well, yeah. anything that seemed to fit, but, uh, we've certainly used, uh, quite a bit of, uh, uh, vst right
1: uh, i'm guessing i mean uh, let's 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 full disclosure i mean dave spears was the chap who kind of organized uh sort of has obviously been talking to you so i'm guessing you probably use some GeForce product in there somewhere
2: we uh we didn't uh, use them on the album but we're using them live oh, okay because you're um, to- you're uh, touring right of course yeah we're going out and they uh oh, i've just sent an email to uh to dave so uh, about this and uh, we're having a fantastic time with posca <laughs> <laughs> it really is and it's wonderful to have such control over it and uh the Entron um, as well and uh, the mini monster they've been very well well used and uh, they're they're proving great fun as we get our stuff ready for um live hmm. and i start sweating
1: yeah, well, I can imagine. I'm um, just take it back to the record company. But did you go to you go? Did you go to a major? And uh, how does, how's that working? Are you are you or you? You're presumably just sort of because you've got a fate, you know, fate to essentially. Did you go, choose to go to a major, or are you just looking for someone to kind of make the thing?
2: No, we went to. Um, I was introduced to uh, Proper Records, and uh, they're you know a well-established independent uh, distribution company, but they also have a label. And I was introduced to them by an old manager. And, uh, you know, they were keen to, to work with us and it seemed, it seemed the right thing to do. So, uh, you know, that's where we've gone.
1: Excellent. Do you, and are you finding that you're more hands on, obviously, now, um, you know, in terms of marketing and all that sort of things? Or do they take care of that stuff? Because that's one thing that, you know, has obviously happened over the years. You know, people, artists have become much more their own uh, salespeople as well, effectively.
2: That's right. Yeah, you can find out all about it at www.blamange.co.uk. Excellent. Yeah. Um, nice play. <laughs> I'm loving to learn that, yes. <laughs> also, I'd rather stick to the music, but uh, yeah. it's, um, it's, it has been quite interesting getting involved in all that aspect of things. And I like having a chat, as you can probably tell.
1: So the other thing was, I mean, get, taking this stuff live, obviously you've been working inside the box pretty much for the album. I mean, how, how, is it a nightmare to make it live or are you kind of finding it translates easily? Um, how, how's it working?
2: It's uh, coming together quite well, actually. Um, in the, you know, a long time ago, what we started with was um, cassette machines and we'd record onto those and we'd produce a backing track which would have uh, the synth, a bass part on it and some drums. Essentially, we're repeating that with today's technology and uh, we'll be playing, uh, you know, kind of uh, everything else. But in fact, some of the bass parts are, are played, but the, the drums, apart from Dinesh's live percussion, yeah, uh, will be running... Uh, providing it doesn't stop. <laughs> 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 and if it stops, I'll do what I used to do. I'll do a version of old Shep for everybody until we get it going again.
1: Excellent. And and so how, how many people are in the uh, the touring troupe?
2: Uh, there's uh four of us and Sound Man and uh you know, there's we have our lighting not lighting show, uh, our visuals as well and things mm. like that. So we'll see how we're gonna see how it goes. I'm just hoping I can remember the lyrics. Every time I've gone through it at the moment, I've had to ad-lib at least one line in every song. Uh, so I don't think that's too bad at the moment.
1: That's pretty good. Is that uh, Are you doing kind of old and new, or are you concentrating mostly on the new stuff? I mean, how are you going to mix it up?
2: We're doing a bit of, we're doing a bit of both, and I think um, it wouldn't really be fair on the... I was having a joke about this. Uh, it wouldn't really be fair on the people who are coming along to just impose totally our new album on them, which I, I'm very... You know, please, we've done. And uh, I think people will be coming along to it and expect uh, to listen to uh, uh, to kind of see us perform some of the old uh, songs, you know, like Living on the Ceiling, Blind Vision, Feel Me, and that kind of thing. So they'll be in there. And um, I'll tell them to go to the bar and get a drink. And whilst they're getting a the drink, I'll slip a couple of new, new ones in.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully, they won't all go and get a drink at the same time. <laughs> as long as
2: they bring me one back. <laughs>
1: so so I mean, in terms of how it pans out, are you purely singing or do you play as well? I mean, what's your kind of role on the live uh,
2: in the studio I play and uh, program and uh, and oh my gob. and live, I will be concentrating on singing right and uh, having a chat in between
1: excellent so you you're not one of those people who just sort of says, and this one's called, and that's it
2: turns no nerve. <laughs> I have a kind of nervous energy I, I hope a little bit more comes out than that
1: <laughs> cheers thanks a lot yeah and this one's called yeah no, well, <laughs> I, I, I get the feeling you'll probably keep them entertained as well so I mean I, I've, I didn't get did you do a lot of live work when you were first time around or
2: yeah yeah we did lots of uh, lots of touring from you know right at the beginning where we were working with Steve on the Sun Bizarre um, and uh, then we have toured with Depeche several times we were good mates with them and um japan grace jones and then in our own right um both here at europe and uh, we played east and west coast of america
1: right oh that's that sounds like you've got a huge bundle of stories just right there those names that you mentioned sounds like there was there's probably a lot to uh, <laughs> a lot you could <laughs> tell us about but you probably uh, wouldn't dare for fear of litigation my
2: memory's my memory's slipping
1: Ah, well, make make some stuff up. <laughs> Just write a book. Yeah. So um, the the, the uh, Paul Lester in your kind of about page that I'm guessing he wrote uh, the whole album has a darkness about it. It's like the culmination of our experiences since we were born. Is is what uh, what you're quoted as saying? Is that a kind of fair a fair subject? I mean, I've obviously got a little bit of um, the opening track um, which we put on YouTube, which was. Uh, I really enjoyed actually it's quite guitar based it's not as uh, purely electronic as i'd as i'd initially thought it might be
2: there's a few guitar things in there I, I doubt with any of those guitar parts i play the whole way through they tend to be looped up um yeah you know when i'm doing a guitar i just as soon i just as soon as i can make it into a loop i will instead of playing it all the way through <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it also says are they the gilbert and george of electro pop uh, <laughs>
2: I'd, I'd forgotten about that. Well,
1: yeah, no, I picked up I think, on that straight away. I thought Daniel, I was,
2: Daniel Miller said we were the maiden ants of electro pop, so uh, I, I, you know, I, I've
1: everybody needs I a soundbite, don't they? You <laughs> uh, have to have
2: you have to have something to say about us. Yeah.
1: So, what do you think about Daniel Miller getting the uh, achievement award at the uh, British? Um, was it Mute Producers Guild?
4: You yeah, got a lifetime time.
1: achievement. Yeah, great guy. About time. Are you still involved with that, that whole on Mute thing? You kind of is it's is it still put on your radar or are you, you know, still in touch?
2: Um, well, I, yeah, I've uh, been in touch with a, a few of uh, the uh, bands on mute and um, I email uh, Vince from time to time and uh, I, I'm a big fan of a, a particular band on mute. Uh, in fact, there's several, but there's one particular band I really like and that's Computer and they're good mates of mine as well. And uh, I had the, uh, pleasure to work with them when they were still called fortran five uh many years ago we did a song together and uh, they <clears throat> also produced um a track on a solo album i did um quite a while back but uh, yeah good good men and one of my favorite bands of all time is the daf so uh, okay and that- it's the only song do the Mussolini is possibly the only song I can dance to.
1: <laughs> Apart from your own stuff, of course. I'm sure you'll be leaping about on stage like a like a mad thing, right?
2: <laughs> I mean, that's why I had the knee operation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I, I, we should probably um, get onto a couple of topics and introduce some of our other panelists. Unless uh, anybody got any questions um, while we're while I'm just scrambling around in my notes looking for the next thing. No. Okay, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, I know that you've got a limited amount of time. Is that right, Neil? So I was going to uh, try and get a couple of them in uh, quickly um, so that you, you had a chance to contribute before you had to shoot off. Obviously, you're more than welcome to stick around if, uh, if that works out that way. But uh, the first one was The Loudness Essay by Earl's Vic- Earl Vickers. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit about this. I did get a little clip together. Uh, let me just play some of that.
3: Without access to the original, we may not know how the mastering process affected the audio quality, but when a recording is remastered, we can compare it to previous releases. The marketing message is we're getting closer to the quality of the original master tape. The irony, of course, is that with each release, we're usually getting further from the original dynamic range. Dynamic range compression has a number of positive uses, but it can be taken too far. Hyper compression has been accused of removing dynamics, creating musical clutter, reducing the excitement and emotional power, and weakening the punch of transients.
1: Uh, Not the most compelling speaking voice, I must admit, but a very (laughs) interesting subject matter, and one that uh, I think will probably uh, ring true with a lot of people, purely because, you know, we've always been, you know, I I think we're kind of driven to make our recordings as loud as possible, and, uh, you know, the the use of... uh, Compression, and uh, it kind of—it's something that seems to have got more and more. and it culminated with the—I've uh, oh, forgotten the name of the band now. That's terrible, isn't it? The uh, what's that—that that heavy metal band? Metallica. Metallica and their album that was almost pure tooth, toothpaste when you looked at the waveform. And, uh, the, the, basically there's some very interesting points in this about hypercompression and all these other kind of aspects. And in fact, there's no direct correlation between making something louder and sales or success in any way. So, um, uh, there's some great quotes in there. Um, uh, we went to the loudness war based on a lie. I thought it was a particularly good one. And, um, uh, the other thing that was quite interesting as well is the fact that, obviously, in sound, in, uh, to, to combat this, in uh, iTunes, soundcheck actually kind of defeats the point because it, it brings everything to a sort of mean peak level, and anything that's over overly sat, overly uh, compressed and normalized will be brought back down any level again. So you can actually kind of bypass the effects of it. Uh, obviously, um, initially. Uh, well, this I mean, there must be a lot of pressure. I mean, Gaz, you're c- kind of constantly doing production. I mean, are you under an awful lot of pressure to kind of get the loudest or are you trying and talk the artist into sort of
0: pulling back? No, I, d- I definitely talk the artist into pulling back. I've done a lot of mastering and generally mastering to a lot of people just means make it louder, really. You know, that's uh, what their understanding of mastering is. And, um, you know, and so I will uh, do some kind of demonstrations a good point in question actually was um there was a, there's a band a welsh band quite a successful band called they, they um and they came to me to master a couple of songs for an album that was already mastered by someone in london and so i had the unmastered tracks and there was like this kind of little in- instrumental opener and it's like a big kind of sweeping crescendo on the mastered one there was no sweeping crescendo at all It was just like <laughs> just, this kind of like Bruh! and then listen to the unmastered one and you get this fantastic sort of musical sweep. So I, so I demonstrated to the band, you know, just kind of illustrated sort of a little bit about the kind of, uh, you know, you know, the, the the before and after by just sort of, um, bringing the level down of the, of the previous, you know, the mastered ones to, and, you know, and, and they were absolutely appalled, you know? So I think, I think I I really, really am very kind of passionate about this particular subject and want to sort of try to help people sort of understand things, you know, I did plenty of, um, when i'm doing mastering i will do lots of sort of uh loudness compensated sort of um uh a being just to show them the effect that it's having you know and uh um you know and i try and sort of refer people back to sort of records that they really like you know and just show that <laughs> that they're not that necessarily that loud and um but you know it, it that was a fantastic article nick and it's really it's really a good one to sort of be promoting because you know we do really really want people to sort of you know stop being so silly about this issue well really one thing
1: inside. that one thing that he suggests to combat this is also put like dynamic range labels on certain recordings so you know this is a high dynamic range recording <laughs> well, just so that people the, are expecting
0: it y- yeah i mean there is this turnmeup.org which is like a kind of it's almost like an equivalent to the um, the soil associate a soil association <laughs> doing their organic certific- <laughs> certification and if you can and, and what they'll do is they will sort of certify. Uh, the dynamic range, if 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 it's been mastered sort of correctly, and then I know Elbow did it with their last album, The Seldom Seen Kid, which if anyone knows that album, that's got some very surprising dynamic spike, especially in the first song, you know, which almost sort of, you know, uh, shows that they've really kind of pursued a sort of a dynamic approach, which was great. I remember looking at um, a Coldplay album a number of years back, I think it was the um, X Y album, whatever it was called, and just sort of like actually examining the mastering on it and it was atrocious and there was lots of kind of, um, there's lots of clipping, there was lots of nasty sort of artefacts from it being overmastered and I was really surprised that a band who were on that kind of level would sort of, you know, you know, have such a sort of hatchet job done on their mastering.
1: Well, I, I wonder whether it's down to listening fatigue as well, because I mean, obviously you're working a song over and over again. If there's a button you press and suddenly it goes, oh, that sounds all different <laughs> and more, you sort of tend to use that at the mastering phase. You know, Neil, you've presumably just been through this process. Um, mm-hmm. did, did, Are you kind of, were you uh, very much hands-on with the mastering thing or did you just sort of send it off and leave it to the person who, you know, who, who thinks they know what it needs?
2: I was very much there, and so was Stephen. We both we both went in, and uh, uh, we were. Well, I don't think I left the room actually. <laughs> you know, I'm. I completely trust uh, Tim, who was who was doing it. But I was very very interested in it and um, keen that uh, it it wasn't um, well. It wasn't going to be squashed anyway. But um, yeah, I was there.
1: Um, did, was, there a dif- was there any difference between, um, did you attend any of the mastering from your previous kind of recordings uh, and and this one? Were there any kind of notable differences?
2: Is it the same personnel, believe it
1: or not? Oh, brilliant. Consistency. First,
2: the person who did our first album did this album.
1: Oh, fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Excellent. I know Rich uh, Hilton you're uh, you're you're very much bel- believer in kind of allowing the dynamics to kind of come through. I mean do you d- did you get a chance to watch this in entire in its entirety? I
5: did. And revelled in Earl's fine delivery all the way through. <laughs> um well, but that aside the problem uh he makes a, he makes actually a really nice case and is very comprehensive, I think, in his approach, and I have a feeling his paper is really well-researched and very well-presented. The problem comes when you have to sell the work to the middleman before you get to the mastering guy. Right. Because along the way, you have to prove – most people – which actually sort of accepts me in most cases. But most people have to prove each step along the way to whoever is actually putting up the money that this stuff is competitive and is going to work. And those people to whom you're proving this are typically not engineers, not musicians, and subscribe to the same belief that most other people subscribe to, which is if it's louder, it's better. Right. And so – there's that aspect. And the other aspect is it's not just down to the mastering and the and the two bus. I find myself using more compression than I used to 30 years ago anyway, um, to get records that sound like what records sound like today, which is kind of what I do get as advice is it's gotta sound um consistent with what people are hearing on records today. Now that to me does not mean squashing the life out of the thing on the two bus. But as I'm working, I'm dealing with the individual elements a little more aggressively with dynamic range compression than I would have 30 years ago. But still, at the end of the day, my two bus meter is pumping away. There's no flat lining And I, by the time I can see gain reduction on the mastering limiter that I've got on that fader, I can usually hear too much of it.
1: Right, so just keep it subtle and and, and work it internally, I suppose.
5: Well, that's what I do. And fortunately, in my own case, really the only person I have to answer to has a great appreciation for dynamic range. And um, as long as it sounds like it will compete in a playback situation with things that are being recorded today in terms of the, you know, as long as it doesn't really sound old, it'll be fine for him as long as it's, I know, wonder.
1: I wonder how we got into this kind of, uh, one upmanship, brickmanship, whatever. I mean, how, what, what, what is the reason for it? Do you think? I, I wonder if, uh, PJ, yeah. have you got any ideas on that?
4: Well, I think possibly Rich, uh, made a suggestion that, of what might, may have initially caused this, and that's that, somewhere along the road somebody was experimenting with the with the newer digital technology i mean a a one fader limiter like an L1 you know a, a ways back and said and 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 maybe that's not the you know the exact point at which this happened and said watch what happens when i do this and somebody who is not an audio engineer not a producer not a musician said oh my god that sounds so much better because it's you know several db louder and uh and it just sort of it and maybe this happened sev- you know several times at the same time r- roughly th- during the same period of time and it just sort of became a convergence of mm-hmm. uh of technology and accessibility to this to this kind of process and before anybody knew what was happening we were we were caught up in this and and this is something that I deal with all the time because um I'm often delivering things to um uh, uh, television stations and uh creative directors and ad agencies and places where they want it uh just just make it as loud as you can
1: yeah well is i guess the tv yeah. well that's the thing because when uh, when you're working against products that are kind of produced end to end so you've got the ad break then you got the, the sting for the program you got that it, it's sort of somehow much more apparent because there is no there is no kind of gain um compensation inside the tv i suppose
4: right right and but for me you know it's the last in a series of compromises my you know the kind of work that i do professionally is just as just, just a cascading series of
1: compromises that's that's got to be the title for the show There, the last in a series of compromises <laughs>
5: cascading series i love it
4: yeah that's what it is <laughs> hey, oh hey
5: uh, nick yes. nick i have one more thing i wanted to say about this sure. and it came up in past podcasts as well The effect of compression is not as immediately apparent to most people as when you turn a knob on an EQ. And therefore, to most people, it's perceivably more subtle. Therefore, folks who don't really know what it's for or how to use it but heard that you're supposed to plug one in will tend to turn the knobs until they hear something really obvious coming out of it. Sure. And so part of it is also the lack of a proper um, apprenticeship standard that has continued. And whereas 30 years ago, you basically, if you worked in a studio, you were working with somebody who knew something because he'd been there for a while. Today, most people have their own gear and haven't worked with a lot of other people who know what they're doing. I suppose, I suppose. The aspect, the compression is a lot less obvious to people in terms of how to use it and what it's for and how it's best managed than, say, EQ, which is also sometimes not obvious to people. But still... And people do still tend to overuse it, but still, at least they can hear what's happening when they turn that knob. Whereas with a compressor, it, you tend to have to go a lot further before things get really obvious, and by then, usually, uh, it's too late.
4: Yeah. Do, do you, and, and Nick? Nick, yeah. can I just add something real quickly to that? Conversely, it's it's interesting on an aesthetic and emotional appreciation level of music that one thing that people respond to. Um, Across the board in musical performances is a dynamic musical performance. I remember hearing an interview with Bobby Osinski, who is the the gentleman who wrote the book, The Recording Engineer's Handbook, and all the subsequent iterations. He's also a keyboard player, and he said the thing he learned years ago from his mentor, and I can't remember who that was, was if you do one thing on stage, play dynamically. Because even if you play badly, the audience will think that they've listened to something Uh, something special and I think that I think that's definitely true because when you when you watch um, and I'm not I'm not advocating playing badly but dynamically uh, it's just that when you watch a performance the the first thing that will I will tune out if I'm if I'm going to see a certain kind of music where I expect where I expect a specific kind of dynamic range if it's missing I'll tune it out Hmm. And if it if it's just flatline, I'll tune it out. But if if there's some dynamic range there, that's that's sort of a get, a gateway in, into into the music. So I just thought uh, okay. adding that.
1: Do Do you I'm think, as a just as a general question to everybody, do you think that perhaps the uh, proliferation of electronically produced music has? Uh, uh, sort of accelerated the the, the loudness, kind of the, the loss of game reduction. Because obviously, you know, synthesizers, while they can be incredibly dynamic, generally, and this is, goes back, you know, perhaps even back to sort of the, the 80s where things were CV controlled rather than velocity controlled, there was a mean level to things. The dynamics weren't as... Uh, Obvious to everybody, you know. You it was harder to make dynamics, so therefore dynamics kind of went by the wayside. I don't know, Neil. Do you think that's a, a fair point, or was it? Am I talking rubbish? I Say it like it talking is. Talking
2: rubbish. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know, really. Um, I've only ever. Uh, <laughs> because I, I I tend to only work with electronics or maybe actually go and play with a band and find out,
1: but you know singing uh, presumably you know, singing live I mean you you you've got the lots pos- of dynamics yeah there. of course yeah
2: we have um, I've never really thought of it as a as a kind of a problem um, getting dynamics out of uh, the synthesizers but uh, obviously they you know they have changed an awful lot over the years um, mm. uh the way they they respond now is um, very different to how they were say thirty years ago when we started using them. Um, well, we've always tended to mix the electronics, you know, so I've kind of contradicted myself slightly. I've said you' should go and play with the band, but well, we do use live instrumentation as well, of course we have uh, pandit Dinesh playing with us. And the dynamic range of Indian percussion is uh, something to behold, I can tell you that from rehearsing with him. <laughs>
1: No, I can imagine that must be quite difficult to match up. I guess in some ways, because of the, because of the the nature of the stuff that you've got as well, you have to put a lot of automation in, or just riding the faders, or whatever.
2: There's a, there's a, there's a lot of leaning on faders that there used to be anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, I can I can remember during yeah, the mix of uh, tracks like Don't Tell Me and uh, Living on the Ceiling, uh, whereas the, the electronics will be going merry along their way when the doogie came in or the maddle or, you know, the the tablets, my goodness, you'd need a little bit of something to hold it back.
1: Right. Interesting. Dave Spears, um, I mean, you you design synthesizers. Uh, I mean, is the dynamics an important aspect of what you put in there? I mean, do you try and build that in or how do you build it in?
3: Yeah, I mean, all sorts of velocity curves and stuff like that. It's interesting though. I think you've got a reasonable point with this because... Don't forget in the what we're we talking about mid eighties, where everybody had those EMSs. I remember as a drummer, it was like right. All I was doing was triggering a sample with no dynamics at all in terms of snare. And then in the nineties, when we kind of you know started when I had the studio here, with we were doing a lot of dance production. You do these mad hours, so your ears are completely fatigued, and then the sonic secret weapon at the end of it. Bearing in mind. This was nothing to do with me. There was a separate producer stroke engineer and I was just a programmer. But, you know, his magic tool was that bloody BBE compressor. Right so at the end of a really long session, when your ears are totally fatigued, you just turn that on, whack it all up, and all of a sudden there's loads of sibilants again, <laughs> and that would <will laughs> be the master. So it's like,
4: ah,
3: that's <laughs> what I blame. Yeah, Aura, oral right,
1: exciters. Oral exciters are the work of yeah the f- <laughs> for the for the terminally f- for studio
0: fatigue. <laughs> yeah.
1: Interesting, uh,
0: Nick. There is a story. Um, yeah. Uh, about the origin of the loudness um, thing, coming back to um, Owen Morris, who produced um, Oasis's "What's the Story Morning Glory," uh, and he said to the mastering engineer, he was looking at the like the um, the VU meter, and he said he wanted the he wanted them lit up all the, in the red on every track, and he didn't want to see that sort of meter move. It just was going up to the red and staying up to the red. So that was, I think, what was that, about 1995? And I think that really sort of um, set a precedent then, really, um, you know, for taking out all the, you know, the dynamic range. Just, uh, And I tell you, that is an awful sounding record if you <laughs> listen to it now. <laughs> but it's was awful then as well.
1: I suppose it's the vehicle for the tunes, though. It's just the top line in a lot of the cases with those. I mean, you know, some crack- cracking songs in there, but perhaps, you know, technically... Yeah. I mean sort of but still how many did it sell you know so I suppose but, you, yeah yeah
4: I was just gonna say if you go a few years back further here in the United States you started to hear what which rich was talking about earlier about um, internal um, use of, uh, of dynamic range compression Yeah. Um, Albums like – I'm thinking of the uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, which I think came out in 92 or 91. A lot of the stuff coming out of Seattle at that time, they were using compression as almost an effect. So you would have this sort of breakdown into a quiet acoustic section of a song with a lead vocal where normally the dynamic would drop off, but it would be right up in your face and, uh, you know, sort of flatline across the top, you know, the the top of the dynamic range. And that sort of persisted here in the early 1990s as a, as an affect, you know, a, a production affect. And I think that that had a lot to do with, um, you know, sort of pioneering the sound of of a modern recording, hmm. at least here in the United States.
1: Yeah, well, it's, I mean, the other thing that uh, Earl Vickers goes on to say is, you know, about hearing damage, because a lot of us are using earbuds and the, it's the sustained, um, you know, the... The kind of sustain, the overall amplitude level that kind of gets gets damages your ears, and there is some awful statistics in there about kind of seventy percent increases in ear damage, all this kind of stuff, which is just sort of terrifying. That's well worth looking at. But um, yes, I, I will put the link in the show notes, and you should definitely check that out. Um, it's time for a message from our sponsors. Before I do, I want to ask Neil, um, are you able to stick around? And if so, um, would you have a preference for any of the topics that we've got coming up? Um, if you do.
2: I have no preference and I'm happy to stick around. It's really interesting. I'm not sure how much I can contribute, but I'm certainly learning a lot well so, uh, we can... it's uh, it's great it's great uh, listening to everybody um chat I'm being uh, yeah I mean educated as well at the same time so it's okay. great really interesting
1: Edu- i think we i think it's called edutainment i think that's where. <laughs> but okay right. brilliant well i will i will do the ad and then um, maybe we could come back to the what would you like to see to see in the studio that hasn't been invented yet because that that i'm <laughs> sure we can all contribute to that um right but first i want to say thank you very much to our show sponsor of course uh, that's yamaha uh, yamaha our uh, still spread the message about their mixers. Of course, Yamaha mixers are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. This, the sound of the podcast is actually through the uh, the, the dulcet tones that go through the Yamaha DM-1000 before it's crushed into 64kbps mono uh, MP3. But nonetheless, I still use Yamaha mixers myself. Uh, but they make a whole range. It's not just the Digital O-Series. They make uh, very large format live consoles. I don't know if many of you, probably if you've been touring um, yourselves, will have seen them in the, in, in the past. Uh, they were considered to be the pinnacle of uh, uh, live sound mixers uh, they've also got uh, the MG series which is a current range there's uh, 12 different models from 8 channel to 32 channel the latest generation of MG mixes contain uh, a series of handy and unique features such as single knob compressor which really helps tighten up the sound in rehearsals or recording in a rush uh, and also they've got uh, Yamaha effects processing can uh, reduce the load on the host comp- uh, computer several MG mixes also contain integrated USB ports which carry 44K digital audio in and out so you can use them for recording a gig or rehearsal or even a podcast perhaps. Uh, USB models come shipped with cubase ai5 so if you're in the uk uh, head over to a pulse store uh, you can find out where they are they're like stores within stores where you get special special sort of yamaha uh, area uh, Download.com is the place to check that out for all of the locations of those in the uk uh, i'm sure there are similar uh, facilities in the us um, I-, I would check that out too but also if you want to find out more about the wider range of maybe the more professional mixes check out yamaha pro audio and once again we thank yamaha for the continued sponsorship of the show uh, very much appreciated okay this uh, last uh, the next topic um is uh, came from gaz it was uh, tail end of the last show um gaz um i hope i've written it down right was it what would you <laughs> like to what would you like to see that hasn't been invented yet in the studio yeah. i'm guessing obviously yeah, that's right we'll, we'll, we'll try and narrow it to music technology just to
0: keep <laughs> us on track shall we yeah well i mean the reason why I was thinking about this topic was because there is an actual item that I really want someone to invent. So I was, um, you know, so I was thinking it might be quite, quite fun to see if anybody else had any ideas. The thing I would like to see is like, uh, I'd love to see a little sort of headphone uh, monitoring system, uh, which is like, um, well, like a, like, a, like a smallish box with about eight inputs on it and or an that input. And then four detachable belt packs with like rechargeable phone batteries in them, or something. And, and these are like kind of wireless. And then on these belt packs are two volume controls, like like a, a control like for me and a control for everything else. Like, uh, and then that and and I just think it would be so wonderful. It would be so helpful for me when I'm on these sessions and sort of you know. So you just give them, you just give these belt packs out to the different musicians. They plug their headphones into them, and then you know wirelessly. And they've got their own volume controls. Now, I know there's a few things. There's the, um, you can get, a, there's a couple of different, different sort of systems you can get uh, that are really quite expensive. Um, I can't think of the names of them now. Uh, MyMix,
1: um, Sonic 500 in the yeah, chat room says.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Ethernet sort of systems. But, um, but non wireless, you know. And, Do you want wireless? Um, yeah, wireless, wireless battery packs, wireless sort of transmit, you know, uh, receivers. Um, but also, if, if those little packs also had little talk back buttons on them as well, so you could actually. Uh, ah,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know. That would so be. I, I mean, that sounds like a great idea, apart from the fact, because we've been in the same boat, basically, trying to find a stereo wireless transmitter, because when we do all our trade show videos, and it's very useful everywhere else, I don't want to be wired up and have this, I want to record the whole lot here so uh they are don't exist yet um, unless you're talking very expensive uh stereo digital transmission systems are incredibly expensive still although the line six stuff is starting to look like it might work because it uses the 2.4 gigahertz range
0: yeah yeah so i'm wondering i'm wondering about it sort of uh, yeah so i mean that's my fantasy that's my fantasy thing i think it would be lovely so it's just like a kind that.
1: of uh portable easily rechargeable uh, la- uh studio monitoring and talkback system
0: yeah, and that each person has got their own controls and sort of, uh, you know, and they're not bound by leads so they can kind of move around, they can come into the, you know, they can just walk around with their headphones on, they just sort of, uh, 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 yeah. Have that, you thought that's, that's about that's just nice.
1: using a kind of uh, a stereo in-ear monitoring system with a little submixer?
0: It always starts to get a bit all confusing and, you know, when you kind of rig in a recording session, I mean, I was just thinking it'd be so, so nice if right. it, if it automatically just detected, you know, you just plugged eight, returns coming from your sort of audio interface into it and it automatically just sort of sort of worked out what everybody wants to hear <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'd be great right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I, I do find the most tedious part of production really is setting up everyone's headphone mixes really you know you
1: need so. an assistant maybe mm.
0: <laughs> i don't know
1: okay yeah. well that's a that's a that's a good shout uh, dave spears you're an inventive kind of
3: guy. What, have, what What do you need made? Uh, three or four things, but I'm not saying anything here, am I?
1: Ah, uh, well, uh, stuff that. <laughs> stu- all right, stuff you're not going to
3: make. <laughs> Let's try and limit it to that then. Actually, Chris had a good idea a controller with retractable pots and that you could save the scenes on, and then each scene represents a different instrument so that it, l- it mirrors the layout of the synth.
1: Oh, and it just kind of. Wow. Um, that's an interesting idea. He just told me that about two minutes ago. Right. Now he's going to be cursing you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> you know that thing about ND. He was just sending over the NDA as, as you blurted it out. I <laughs> know, uh, Rich. You, I mean, I, you strike me as a man who probably has everything he needs in a studio. But uh, there must be a couple of things that you're kind of thinking. You know what? If only
5: somebody made that. Well, uh, you know, I'm a little shallow on this topic because... I like the stuff I got and I have a one room studio in which I record one thing at a time and I've got all these wonderful input paths around me and a mini mogan a profit. So I don't know. I'm there's not a lot of I I'm not wishing. Yeah, a plug-in that confers musical wisdom and taste upon the people who run these things. <laughs> there's a couple of there's a couple of uh, prime um
1: uh, suggestions via the chat room. Chat room coming up. Trumps as ever. Tall leggy blonde assistant. Uh, d- this one for you, Dave from Red Walks. A wife that likes vocoders. Um,
4: <laughs> PJ. Yeah, uh, this is a tough one. Um, I'm I'm fairly I'm fairly satisfied these days with the the tools that I have at hand. Uh, one thing that would be wonderful is a piano that tunes itself. Okay. Um. I haven't found me like
1: that, but for guitars, you could. There's a Gibson one, isn't there? Maybe there's somebody needs a Steinway self-tuning piano.
4: Exactly. Jesus, how Another how expensive would, be, would but... that be? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be pretty expensive, pretty expensive. And you you said keeping it to music technology, but if I could if I could move briefly out of the realm of music technology, I think a, a landlord deassholinator would be good. <laughs> so <laughs> if <laughs> if, I, if I could have that, that'd be wonderful. Uh, there's Keep, a... keeps. He keeps driving all my good neighbors away. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> landlord, Diaz Holinator. That's that's almost. Yeah. If it wasn't so, uh, if it wasn't so risky, I'd, I'd almost say that that was the title of the show. But, <laughs> but um, Neil, Neil, what about yourself? Uh, have you got? Uh, I mean, going through this thing. I mean, obviously, you know, I am guessing making this record, you know, in laptop world and and then sort of mixing may have thrown up a couple of ideas, of a couple of missing missing parts of your uh, setup that nobody makes.
5: Um,
2: the thing that frustrates me is that <clears throat> I, I always I always seem to lose um, ideas, and of course they 're meant to be on the computer and when I go to look for them for some reason they 're not and I think they must just be lost in my imagination somewhere and i 'd like <laughs> i 'd like some way of uh, somebody invented something that tells me where everything i 've lost that I think is really good is because <laughs> I can never bloody find it. <laughs> so it's you, not need,
1: really you need a decent, really you, but well, you need a decent at uh, uh, annotation system.
2: It's like a. Oh, I need I, I need something. I've been looking for something just before we started chatting, and I cannot remember where the heck it is. It's in this studio somewhere, and it's not so. It's a, it's only a little room. And uh, as we were talking, I've had two emails about it and a text. Where is it? <laughs> I won't tell you what it is. I need to get to somebody, but my goodness, I can't find it. I ah. need I need organizing.
1: Uh, well, again, I, I refer you back to my earlier comment. Is uh, you need an assistant, or and and yeah. by the sounds of it, some more zinc. I think zinc does does
2: it as well. <laughs> yeah, I'll get, I'll get some down. I, I was just going to say, I, I had
0: a, a really stupid idea as well, it would be like a big floor mounted tremolo arm, which actually sort of like vibrates the whole floor. So all the musicians who then kind of get shook up and down, so they kind of get. So, <laughs> I don't quite know what that would sound like on the drums. It's probably the most stupid idea. I <laughs> saw so
1: like, like a sort of manual. Does it move the, all of yeah. the musicians in entirety further away and closer yeah. to the microphones on a mass? Uh,
5: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like to think of <laughs> it. By so- just, by just. Sp- <laughs> oh,
1: I like God. to think of
5: it as spatial modulation. <laughs> spatial modulation.
4: Yeah.
1: There's a great the video. There's a great modulation. video of the uh, Funkin' for Jamaica recording sessions where they've got this enormous gantry. <laughs> it's like a kind of uh, they're recording it, and it's all hung from above. So the band are playing, and there's this, just the, all the mics are dangling from this piece of. It's like a lighting rig, and I'm guessing you could move the whole thing up and down, sort of fairly rapidly. <laughs> use something like that think of it rather than moving the entire band move the stuff that's lighter
0: I think that's probably much I mean my idea was just stupid really I was just imagining everyone just falling round us oh no someone's on the tremolo arm again you know <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's an excellent take keep them on their toes actually it'd be a bit like um if you're in the studio a lot it would be quite good to be like having one of those balls to sit on when you're stuck in front of the computer <laughs> a lot of time because it probably keeps your muscles nice and trim and you know does does your lower back an awful lot of good just trying to maintain your momentum while the floor is moving around at will mm. i like the idea of that <laughs> yeah. i'm trying to think what i would like um uh <laughs> I, I think it comes down to the controller thing again. I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, Neil, because if you have been using a lot of soft synths? I mean, do you mm-hmm. use controllers or are you a mousy kind of guy? I mean, how does it work for that? I, I want both. something that just works, you know, every time. Yeah,
2: I, I'm, using, I'm using both. Um, mouse, mousy um, and even not a mouse. You know, the little track thing you have on a – I've got a MacBook Pro, so I'm, I'm using that, and it's driving my fingers crazy, so I have to do lots of exercise on it. I've also got um, a controller, and uh, you know I, I think I'll get around to reassigning those sometimes and you know I've, do you do you ever reassign them no yeah. you just you have one
1: away. one thing and it always works you just go oh, you know what I'll just use the mod wheel again
2: yeah <laughs> yeah that's <no. laughs> cut off in resonance <laughs>
1: you know. yeah. I'll tell you what I've got here actually just a quick aside just to bring it back to music tech again I've got the M-Audio Venom I just want to play a note see if it actually- can you hear this yeah, you hear that? Right. I'm looking for now, this sound is um... let me see if I can get <laughs> probably not getting an awful lot of bottom end out of this, but I have to say uh, it's really good. And one of the reasons it's really good is because it's got um, it's got a high resolution filter sweep. So normally these things are 128 steps, right? and uh this has got it's a 1024 so it was an 8 bit step and it makes the filter sound absolutely real it's 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 astonishingly different and the bottom end on it is really good i mean there's got a lot of other things wrong with it but it actually sounds great um if anyone gets a chance to check it out it's quite dirty and unpleasant um but i can thoroughly recommend it <laughs> if anybody's <laughs> looking for something like that did you hear that guys on the end of the podcast or my I... yeah yeah you did okay uh-huh. but i wasn't expecting it to sound quite as good as it did to be honest and it really does sound really rather good in fact, that's my top tip. Um, but I think I think that this is it. I mean, we're all we're, there's always something. But it, as as our workflows get more and more specialised, it's so niche that the chances of anyone actually making one is kind of quite slim. It's like um, when we did our we do our show coverage, and we've been for ages kind of getting the cameras right and getting this that right. And we got uh, Andy designed and made these um, these kind of camera mounts that basically make it much easier to hold onto the camera and kind of strap various things to it so now we've got this little thing which basically has everything on it and it's a workflow thing it means that the whole workflow is on one piece of equipment you just switch it on and you point it at somebody and you go and that sort of stuff makes a big difference and i suppose that kind of takes us on to this other topic that was uh from uh, kim lad i don't know how to pronounce this lad joey which was uh you know about the, the the danger of uh, wanting equipment and why you should make the the right choices for new equipment, uh, and in fact there's some great paragraphs in this article which are new gear feels great, almost like a hit, so much so that it feels good to browse for gear. You know what I'm talking about, blog postings, mm-hmm. et etc, forum discussions, video demos I mean I'm guilty I, I actually provide the fodder for a lot of this stuff <laughs> but uh, avoid getting stuck in the gear trap it's important to know when you when when you need new gear uh, without anyone, especially manufacturers, telling you. Uh, and, and he goes on to say, I, I think it's a he, I hope so, uh, or uh, if, if not, I get it right. Pay attention to your workflow and pay attention to tasks that could be streamlined or improved. There goes the phone, true <laughs> to form. I thought I'd turn that off. I don't know what it's ringing for. Uh, more specifically, look for these. Uh, time Tasks that are time-consuming or repetitive. Tools that make it difficult to express yourselves or gaps in workflow. Um, did anyone get a chance to read that article? Um, it seemed like sort of fairly sage advice, really, but something that's obviously... It's one of those things that's so blooming obvious, you sort of think, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about all that stuff. Dave, space is limited in your uh, in your office, even more so with the uh, introduction of your whirly. Are you finding that um, you need anything else or you have to really justify it? What are the justifications that you have? And I'm not talking about justifications for getting a giant whirly. It's a piano with a huge leaderboard above it. <laughs>
3: I'm the wrong person to be talking to about this, really. <laughs> I, can, I can justify anything. Anything. There's, there's, an e, we got, there's an eBay thing coming up today, and it's just like, I know we can't fit it in, but 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 in my head, it's already justified. But it kind of gets back to that, you know, what would you like to see invented? And it is some kind of TARDIS device for your studio again. That's what Chris uh, just hit me up with, and I think that's a good point. But no, I can, you know... There's loads and loads of things that I want, and I can justify them to myself constantly. Not to my wife, but certainly to me.
1: Right. <laughs> well, that then, this article obviously does, uh, you concur, but it bears no resemblance to the actual real world of your life then. <laughs>
3: well, it's that whole, you know, gear acquisition syndrome. And it's like, you know, even if it isn't necessary, it's like, ah, oh, that looks really nice. Can we get one of those? Yeah.
1: I. I...
3: I know what you mean. I'm, I'm, I'm even if I only use it once. Sometimes it's like, oh, okay, you know, I've used that a couple of times. That's good fun. I mean, most of you know, most of what we do and what I like comes from when I, when we're working with other people, and there's always that kind of, oh, that would have been good, or that would have been cool if we had one of those, and then that inevitably leads to something else and something yeah. else
1: well i can just refer you back to the last piece of gear that i bought was the corg prophecy you talked me into buying live on the podcast which <laughs> I, I don't actually think i've switched on many more times since after i unboxed it and played with it for a while. Oh, well, that's good such a crappy programming interface and the fact that it's monophonic sort of meant me not reach to it for it very often but it's definitely a very expressive instrument i think it might be going back on ebay something oh, i know you said you'd buy
3: it yeah, well, we might acquire that off you. Well, as soon as I've got a little bit more space here, we'll, we'll probably <laughs> Well, it's too late, isn't it? You haven't got any room now. <laughs> well, no, we're talking about extending. Ah, extending. It's cheaper than moving.
1: Burrowing underground, yes.
3: Um, Rich,
1: how do you justify your acquisitions? I'm presuming there's probably a, a two tiers or two <laughs> threads perhaps to this. You've got the one that, the, that needs to be in the studio for whatever reason and, and then your own personal
5: um, addictions. But the... Do do have a relationship, but the, uh, the short answer is how do I justify it with somebody else's money? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Well, yep. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, on a personal level, I, um, I've i been fortunate enough to establish enough relationships with people that I'm pretty well taken care of. I could certainly work here on my own if I had to. Right. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm looking, by the way, my racks are filled with ancient midi gear, all of which is for sale. <laughs> you've been saying that for months for years <laughs> no literally years you're not trying very hard or nobody wants no, it. no i'm not i'm not i've tried i have advertised it at one time a long time ago but not lately and uh you know whatever and it um how do i justify it i i have to really need it you know when you, it, that's a really a lifestyle social culture question because you know i have children one of which is in college one of whom is in college um you know it's expensive to live in Connecticut. <laughs> you know it's so. You <laughs> so know these, how, yeah. these considerations are made very deliberately.
1: Gaz, how do you do it then? I know you're probably a, you're a cautious spender, aren't you? You have to kind of place it right, or do you just go crazy?
0: Oh, uh, I mean, when I did read that article, I mean, I really did think, oh, yes, it, it was like hitting some home truths there. But um, uh yeah, I do, I do kind of fantasise about the gear then and sort of think, oh, it would be quite nice to do this and that, whatever. Uh, although lately I have actually been sort of just, I've decided I've, I've been selling a whole bunch of stuff and just trying to sort of reassess what I've got and sort of what it actually genuinely does actually work for me. Um, uh, you know, and, and and like with the you know in many ways we're so spoiled aren't we with with the with the, with the music software side of things you know we've just you know the, the power and the depth of them are just so amazing you know uh you know i often talk about omnisphere taking omnisphere as an example you know that you know if that was the only software instrument i had you know that would be amazing you know so it, it is a sort of um you know the like and we've got high expectations when a new piece of equipment comes out or a new piece of software we expect it to be you know really damn special you know and and it has to be really to compete i suppose and uh, uh but i suppose it's when when pieces of equipment come out that didn't exist before and sort of you think oh now that's quite an interesting idea i mean i definitely you know when i got an eigenharp last year was uh, was a good case in point there you know just um uh uh, do you use you know, it? The, it's actually gone back
1: <laughs> <laughs> no then
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, No. <laughs> nice idea, yeah but the, the, the world is full of, the, as Rich calls them uh,
0: the uh, doorstops of the future as yeah. it were so, so yeah, yeah, but I mean you know and just when I think that that's it I've got enough stuff, I just need to sort of knuckle down and just get on with some work and I see something on Sonic State and think, <laughs> oh gosh yeah, so yeah I, I actually do blame you, Nick, for a lot of things, and and that's actually—I'm quite happy to take full responsibility. No, that's great. I've got someone to blame now, which is good. My girlfriend does get quite cross when I sort of, you know, this next big, <laughs> this next big package arrives. So, so I'll just. Uh... Well, I, get,
1: I suppose I get the opportunity to try the stuff out. I've got, I'm, like I say, I've got the M. I've just had the Novation Ultra Nova. I've got the M. Armadio Venom. I've then got uh, the Moog Little Fatties in a box just around the corner, which is going to be next. Going to have a look at that. So I get, I get to sort of try it all out and uh, and you know decide whether I want. And to be honest, most of the stuff I try, I don't hang on to. You know, it's not something I don't feel I need a lot of it. But um, yeah, occasionally I will get something and I think, oh yeah, I must do that. I know Neil, are you are you kind of do, do you find that you are you a purchaser have you hung on to a lot of old gear i mean how does it work for you
2: um i've got some old gear and i uh, do buy things from time to time and i get i do get a bit excited about it and slightly distracted when uh, it arrives and start filling around when I should be uh, maybe getting on with the blasted writing or whatever but uh i've some what i've done recently is i've i've studied opening a few boxes that haven't been opened for a while (laughs) and rediscovering things. So that's a bit like, um, it's a kind of false Christmas, but it's a little bit like giving myself a present. I go, Oh, I haven't seen that for a long time. For example, I'm looking at now the, um, super Jupiter programmer, the MPG 80 and underneath it, the super Jupiter in, in the box. And I have used that for a while, started using it again on the album, actually, but I've had a really, it's like been meeting an old friend, so, you're kind of having a, having a play around with that and um so it's a, it's a little bit of both uh, and I'm I, you know I'm I, I'm uh, enjoying you know kind of uh, working with some uh new soft sense as well um I mentioned about G force so uh, I'm having a fantastic time with that but I do like opening an old box up from time to time and it's going oh yeah I will I've a play around with the old stuff
1: a lot of people have, especially sort of musicians who've who've been in the business for a certain amount of time, they have storage, don't they? So you have your kind of working room and then you have a massive garage somewhere stacked full to the brim with stuff you don't use at the moment with the sort of assumption that it will either get used again at some point in the future. PJ, is that how it works for you?
4: <laughs> no, I do not have a massive garage anywhere with <laughs> instrument stuff to the gills. Um, I do have a, a few pieces of gear that I've owned for a very, very long time. I have a Roland Juno 106, which oh, I prize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had that keyboard since 1985. Uh, I got one of
1: those. Mine's broken though.
4: Mine works and is still, is still on its first battery. Which is amazing. I've I've used yeah. it sometimes daily for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. <clears throat> its first battery is still intact.
1: Nice. So it's,
4: yeah. And I, I love that piece of gear. I have a Roland VK7, which I've mentioned on the podcast before, is my go-to 61-key controller. It ha- it has uh, really no knobs, no MIDI assignable knobs or anything like that. I have a small EMU box that I use for that. Um, but I love the waterfall um, keys on it. It just it just feels right as a 61 key controller for me. Um, there have been a few purchases over the years that I've made that I've regretted. Uh, mentioned on the podcast before, an M Audio Pro 88 uh, was a was a poor purchase. Um, but very few of those for me. I, I tend to do. I, I tend to be able to separate out my lust for kind of the geeky side of looking into music technology, exploring it all, um, looking at. Um, looking at everything and kind of dive, diving into what it is and and getting my hands on it if I can to play around with it and actually acquiring it and taking it home and using it in my own workflow, I, I tend to only purchase things that I think I'll actually use. But that being said, occasionally um, I'll go on a on a uh, you know a, a sample library buying JAG or um, you know buy buy some new software synthesis. Oops.
1: Hello? Oh, what happened there? Oops. a daisy Hold on, folks. Sorry about this. I just had a Skype death. (laughs) So I'm just going to... Recall everybody. Uh, we had a terrible skype crash there and everything went a bit crazy so i'm um, rather than try and pick it up where it's where it was left off i entertained our live listeners with some uh, sounds of the m audio venom which i think they're appreciative of uh, <laughs> but, but maybe we'll come back and we can say our goodbyes um, it seems like uh quit while we're ahead and we've got everybody online <laughs> so uh, first of all i want to say uh, thank you very much to neil arthur from for joining us this week it's been a real pleasure i know um, you're you're very busy and you've been doing a lot of press and um, what with the album out so imminently
2: that's right Um it was a pleasure to speak to everybody very informative and uh, thanks for bearing with me
1: <laughs> no thanks for bearing with us because usually we don't have a technical crash like that but thank you ever so much um where will people go blemange.co.uk is that the right uh, the right place yeah, with
2: three w's and dot uk and there's all details there so
1: the album uh blank blank burn is out on the 7th of march which i'm guessing what's that's a couple of weeks away 10 days away that's uh, it and then you're off uh touring um is it just uk or are you going to hit the rest of the world
2: initially initially the uk and um there are plans afoot for a further afield without a doubt
1: oh excellent well i suppose once you go to all that point all that sort of effort of putting a live show together it seems churlish not to do more doesn't it
2: it's going to be—it's going to be quite strange doing doing any of the dates, uh, but uh, yeah, we will look forward to it. It's, uh, it's very strange. The last one we did was Royal Albert Hall, so. Oh,
1: brilliant. Well, wow. So are you We're got, not playing uh, there this time. Uh, no. Slumbering, well, maybe you, huh? can, you can build up to it. Build up to it a little bit. I
2: think we may well have to build up to that, yes. Well, anyway,
1: uh, Neil, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure, as I said. Uh, the, uh, the voice you heard there was Rich Hilton uh, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonis. You can also find him on uh, MySpace. Thank you, Rich, for joining us. Have you got a, a big day planned in the studio? I do. Oh, good. Good. Well, may it be fruitful and uh, not too late. In the
5: into the night for you, I'm sure it'll be big fun. Excellent, and thank you. It's always great.
1: And Mm -hmm. uh, we'll say uh, goodbye also to Gaz Williams, uh, of course, uh, our Bristol-based guy. Uh, (laughs) What was it called? SongSurgeon.co.uk again. Yeah, and, and apparently all that crash is
0: all my fault then. So no, I'm it's not, not
1: your fault. It just seemed to be it coincided with the ringing up because when you got a conference right. call and an yeah. incoming, I've never had that happen before, so it's a, um. it's a first. Okay, well, thank you very much, Gaz. Um, a pleasure as ever to have you. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. And uh, Dave Spears, G4software.com. Thanks for joining us too. Thank you. Good fun. I know you're always busy, so it's good to uh, be able to tear you away from your many, many boiling pots.
3: Well,
1: yeah, simmering. Simmering. And, and again, thanks for introducing us to Neil. It's been a pleasure to have him on board as well. That's great fun. You. Thank now. you, And uh, also well, PJ Tracy, PJTracyMusic.com. Thank you for joining us too. Have I got a PJ? Did I not ring him up? <laughs> oh! <laughs> I didn't call him back up. Oh, dear. That's a bit, how, how terribly embarrassing. Right, where is he? Oh, he's gone.
2: Uh, All of us could pretend to be him.
1: We could. Let me see. I could try and ring him. <laughs> So i wanted to say goodbye but um, due to our no, sky crash I, he's the person i didn't actually get back in touch with maybe he's he's gone he might he, he may probably... have had to go oh well and yes You'll... he's uh, well anyway pj says nick i guess i will sign off email if you get the chance thank you to everyone i had a great time as always so he's offline but there we go thank you to pj dracy as well so all our guests and also to the show sponsors don't forget Yamaha yamahadownload.com and uh, also, uh, everybody in the chat room, uh, it's been another bumper week. I think, uh, apart from the computer crash this week, um, everything worked online. The video stream, the chat stream, everything's all hunky dory and as it should be. And I think we're going to try and make some more use of this, because uh, I was playing before the show with uh, with, with the, the Venom, and uh, people seemed to dig that. So I might try some online kind of here. I've got it here now. Let's see what it sounds like and ask me some questions. I might try that. But anyway, that was Sonic Talk number 208. Thank you very much, everybody, for participating.
2: brain. Learn the concept of a game. Tell me, did you go there? Did you really meet him? Did he have a moustache? Was he wearing makeup? Drinking from a teacup? Tell me, did you know him? Drive
4: me to your home. Take me to your home.